0: Psalm 68, we're not going to read the entire psalm, but we're going to read some select verses from Psalm 68. The psalm opens, though, in verse 1, by saying, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that writeth upon the heavens by His name, Jah. And rejoice before Him. By the way, that is, a, that is a shortened form of Jehovah. His name, Jehovah, or Jah. Rejoice before Him. But notice verse number 5. A father to the fatherless. And a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God in his holy habitation is a father to the fatherless. You know, that tells us an awful lot about the heart of our God. We've learned on Sunday evenings that sanctification is a matter of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And as we get to know what Jesus Christ is like, the Spirit of God conforms us into that image. As we read and study the Word of God, here's something of God's image. He's a dad to fatherless people. That tells you a lot about God. You know, a dad always wants what's best for his kids, doesn't he? A good dad wants what's best. And a good dad makes decisions. And sometimes he has to make hard decisions. That don't seem to be best right now. But because dad sees down the road further, he knows it will be best in the long run. And out of love, he's willing to make a hard decision right now. That a child may not understand and appreciate right now. But his dad, he knows That this is going to be best. I've talked to people that have adopted orphans. Take a little child away from everything that's familiar to them. Take a little child from what is normal. Even though it's not a good normal. But the child, it's just normal. To take that child out of that and place it into a family that will love them. But that doesn't seem real good right now. Oh, it'll be good in the long run. But at that moment, that can be so hard on that child. A dad's willing to make hard decisions because he knows what's coming. And that's why the very next verse says, God, who's a father to the fatherless, God setteth the solitary in families. Sometimes it's hard to take that little orphan away from everything that's normal in their little messed up life and put them in a home where there's a dad and a mom, maybe even some brothers and sisters. And oh, it's going to become a new normal that's going to be far better than anything that they could have ever had in the past. But it's hard. A dad makes hard decisions because he knows that there's good things that will come out of that decision. In the future. He said as the solitary in families. Verse number 19 says. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. Verse number 26 says. Bless ye the Lord in the congregations. Even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. Verse 32. Sing unto God ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord. Verse number 35. O God thou art terrible Out of thy holy places, the God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. Aren't you glad God makes hard decisions for your life that might be hard at the moment, but it's going to be good in the future? And thank God for Christian dads and moms who are willing to make a hard decision to take a child away from a normal that is not good and introduce them into their own family because they know it's going to be so much better for them in the long run and they cooperate with God to take that solitary one and place it into their family orphans need a family that they can call home it's not temporary
1: Home. Good morning to all. It is a joy to be here, and I appreciate your pastor so much. He's just—he's just one of those kind, energizer bunnings I've ever met, if you know what I mean. And he is such a joy. Uh, I want to mention real quickly also. uh, I appreciate the emphasis on the orphans and all. My wife was in foster care. And God protected her. And then when she was adopted out, her daddy passed away when she was only seven. I grew up without a dad. I was thrown around, raised by my grandparents. And they were wonderful in a way. My grandmother was sweet as can be. She was about a Polish lady in northern Pennsylvania. She's about 4'11", both ways. And uh, she was just a joy she was. Uh, My granddad was bad to drink. Psalm 2710. When the mother and father forsake thee, The Lord will take you up. And we have a wonderful, precious, loving, forgiving Heavenly Father. Aren't you glad? And I'm so thankful for that. Why don't you turn to Ecclesiastes 12 while you're turning there. First of all, I want to thank you for uh, sending your kids to the wilds. Uh, You know, we should as parents do everything we possibly can to help them walk with God. And camping is one of those things because it's almost like, it's almost like four or five weeks of revival all crammed into one week along with a lot of ice cream and zip lines and ice cream and laser tag and ice cream. Okay. So it's just a wonderful thing. And I would obviously, I had the privilege of being 30 years in North Carolina. What a joy it is now to go to New England. We're only one hour more between here and you say, how do you get to your camp? Drive about six, seven hours north, turn right at the Dunkin' Donuts, go about a mile, turn left at the Dunkin' Donuts, go three miles, turn right at the Dunkin' Donuts, go through two more Dunkin' Donuts, and you'll find us, okay? <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts are all over up there, but it is, it is really, really a joy. And I also have to say this, probably 85% of my preaching in life has been to teenagers. I Actually, I shared with the teens this morning, I get a little nervous when I get in front of all you old people, okay? So, I do. I just remind myself that you adults are nothing more than teenagers with wrinkles. And then I'm okay, all right? What is the bottom line? What is the bottom line for our kids? What is it that we really, really, really want our kids to know before they ever leave home? What is it that we need to know before we actually come into the presence of God? If we could take everything you have been taught, From your church and Sunday school and vacation Bible schools and camps and revivals and personal study. And we boil it down to one simple truth. What would it be? We find it at the end of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, an elderly man, gives us these words in chapter 12, verse 13. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the bottom line. This is the conclusion. This is life. This is what God wants from us. Would you say the next two words out loud together with me? Fear God and keep his commands. It's the whole duty of man. What does it mean to fear God? Sometimes at camp you'll be leaving at an evening service and all of a sudden while you're walking to your cabin there's these little eyes in the woods that follow you. We don't know what they are. It could be squirrels, rabbits, maybe Tyrannosaurus rex. We really don't know. But it could be scary. Is that what it means to fear God? Really not at all. We wouldn't have time to look at every aspect of the fear of God. And so, as the pastor even mentioned earlier, and I didn't know he was going to read that, but this morning, as we look at the fear of God and want to teach it to our kids and grandkids, what does it mean? To fear God means to respect his holiness by hating everything he hates and loving everything he loves. Let me say that again. To fear God is to respect his holiness. By hating everything he hates and loving everything he loves. Now, you combine that with a wholesome dread of displeasing him. If you're a kid and here or a teenager, you know when you're younger, you obey mom and dad so you don't get punished, don't get a spanking. But when you get older, okay, it's, it's, it's not that kind of discipline that you fear. It's like you just love mom and dad so much. You don't want to disappoint them. You don't want to let them down. And when we're young in the Lord, there's a lot about chastisement and correction we do not understand. But as you grow and you're walking with God, you get to the point where you just love God so much. You don't want to disappoint Him. You don't want to let Him down. You have a wholesome dread of displeasing Him. So to teach our kids before they leave home, to encourage our own hearts before we leave life, we need to fear God. Hate what he hates, love what he loves, have that dread of displeasing him. What does God promise to everybody that truly learns to fear God? Go back to Proverbs chapter 1, please. And everything we look at will come from the writings of Solomon. And you will see the phrase fear or the fear of the Lord in it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge before we can ever truly even understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that God is in control of this world. We have the knowledge that He created the world. He has the final say. We must listen and obey Him. And unless we truly, truly respect His holiness, understand who He is, understand what He has done for us, we'll never truly understand the fear of the Lord. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Here's a promise to those... Who fear God. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. God promises good health and strength to those who fear Him. Now literally it says you have a strong belly button. But what it means is good health and strength. Chapter 9 verse 10. Proverbs 9 verse 10. I love this one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're say a teenager from say 10th grade all the way through 25 years of age. Raise your hand real high. I want to see where you are. Okay, you guys are right now in the biggest decision-making times of life. Big-time questions like, who should I marry? And where should I go to college? And who should I marry? And what should I major in? And who should I marry? All these big-time questions. And you wish you could go outside and look up in the sky. And God just writes it out for us. His perfect will. 18, 20-year-old, do you know what God says? He says, here, here, I will give you this wisdom. I'll give it to you. All you need to do is fear me. You hate what I hate and love what I love. You have that wholesome dread of displeasing me. I will give you this wisdom. Look at chapter 10, verse 27. 10-27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. Do you want to live a good long life? Fear God. Chapter 14, verse 26. 14-26. Again, I love this one. In the fear of the Lord... Is strong confidence. I mean, not just teens, but adults all the time. They say, Rand, I can't do it. I can't live for God like I should. I can't say no to temptation and pray fervently. I can't witness to my friends and be consistent in my walk with God. I can't do it, folks. Yes, you can. You can all live for God. You really, really can. And you can get up in the morning and enjoy a vibrant devotional time. You can pray fervently and witness to your friends. You can say no to temptation and yes to God. You say, Rand, how do you learn to live with such confidence? Fear God. Hate everything He hates. Learn to love everything He loves. Have that dread of displeasing Him. I promise you, He will give you such confidence. Look at chapter 15, verse 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. God promises contentment to those who fear Him. Chapter 16, verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Don't we pray that our kids and grandkids stay away from the evil that destroys their lives? Don't we pray that they stay away from the siren calls of the world, which includes... All the drugs and the alcohol and the filthiness online. We say, Lord, I don't want them to fall prey to those things. How do you depart from evil? Fear God. Hate what God hates. Love what God loves. Have that dread of displeasing Him. He will keep them from evil. One more, chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it, Shall abide. Look what the next word says. Satisfied. Say that with me. Satisfied. In a way, satisfaction guaranteed to those who fear God. Do you know what the world is looking for? I'm not even talking about Christians. The world is looking for confidence. They're looking for contentment, satisfaction. Long life. They're looking for all these things. And Christian, do you know what God says to you and what he says to your kids? Here, here, I will give you all these things. All you need to do is fear me. You hate what I hate, love what I love, dread displeasing me. I will give you all these things. You say, okay, Rand, how do you learn to fear God? Three simple, simple truths. Go back to Proverbs chapter 2. We'll look at the first one. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou receive my words and hide my commandments with thee? So that thou incline thine ear into wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. If thou cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and searchest for hers for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. The Bible is likened unto a buried treasure. Number one, dig in. Say it with me. Dig in. How do you dig into the Word? He tells us this is God. He asked this to be written down for us. Verse one, if you'll receive my words, the word receive means to snatch or to seize. Every single time you hear the pastor preach, Sunday school, listen to a podcast, say, Lord, give me one truth that I can snatch, that I can seize to make me think differently and live differently. Just just one thing. Look at the next verse and hide my commandments with thee. I think you know it. It's Psalm one nineteen, verse eleven. You know that one? Thy word, say it with me. Thy word have I hid in my that I very good. How many of you believe that verse is true? Let me see your hands. Sweet. This is a short message. I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me pick two or three of you. And what I'm going to do is I want you to stand up and I want you good and loud share one or two of the verses you've been memorizing in your personal devotions the last couple of weeks because I promise whatever you're memorizing will be a great blessing for others. Okay. Let's start over here with, uh, hmm, everybody's looking away from me all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not going to call on anyone. You know why? might be pretty quiet in here. Hey, Dad, Mom, we're not ignorant of the Word. We just ignore it. Do you memorize Scripture and your family devotions together? Thy Word have I hit in my heart that I might not. What's the next word? Sin! And yet we still struggle with anger. We're harsh. We're inconsiderate. We struggle with greed and fear. And don't hide God's Word. It doesn't make sense, does it? God tells us what to do. We just don't do it. Look at verse 2. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. I love the word incline. It means to lean towards or to remove all distractions. It's kind of like the elderly lady in in your church. You say, how you doing? She leans. She goes, hey! She leans towards you, okay? So what do you do to remove distractions when you spend time with God? At home, where? I mean, seriously, where do you spend time with God? You say, well, Rand, normally we read during the commercials. Uh-uh, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> you have a set place and a set time and a set plan that you meet with God? Folks, if you don't, you won't. If you don't have a set place and a set time and a set plan... Then you're just going to try to squeeze God into your too, too busy world. Because, of course, we have things that are very, very important like Pinterest and Facebook and Fox News. Folks, Fox News repeats every 11 minutes. You don't need to watch it for an hour, okay? Verse 3, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. Do you pray? I hope so. Dad, do you pray? I don't mean do you talk to God while you're driving through quick traffic. Do you have a closet? that you pray for your wife? Do you pray for your kids? Any man who lacks prayer is an arrogant man. I'm not being mean. But we think we can handle it ourselves. And oh, when we get really desperate... And the kids start to rebel and finances are strong. Then we cry out to God. But what about the daily dependence? God, thank you ahead of time for taking care of my kids. Thank you for loving me so much. Verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search first for hidden treasures. I always thought it would be so cool to find a hidden treasure. Like to be walking, hiking through the woods and trip and look down, somebody drops this bag and inside has two or three million dollars of cash. That would be so much fun. Okay, I doubt it's going to happen. But I did do a lot of study about the gold rush in the 1870s. In fact, from one story, I was pretty excited, Pastor, when you invited me to come even on this weekend, because in 1878, get this, Wells Fargo was hired to haul a load of uh, gold shipment. It was actually gold coins. Five Back then, $5 million gold coins from Boston all the way down somewhere near Washington. And the way the story goes, it almost made it to Washington. And of course, they took back roads and all so they wouldn't be attacked. But they were attacked. The money was stolen. The men were caught. But they never found the money. So I did a little bit more study and got one of those GPS things. And oh, Pastor, when I pulled into your church parking lot, more, I got so pumped. I've been busy. I was with the teens and stuff. But I think I know where the $5 million of gold coins is buried. It is right in the middle of your gaga pit, right outside these doors. <laughs> Again, I haven't had time to check it out, you know. But if, if you really believe that story, tonight around 10 o'clock, you drive in, turn the headlights on. <laughs> Pastor's been digging since 9 o'clock, Okay. <laughs> And all of a sudden, everybody shows up and they say, wait, wait, we found something. And they take the lid off this big old box and the gold coins go everywhere. And everybody goes, oh, cool. Good it's there. Let's go back and get some sleep. I don't think so. You'd be beating on each other to get in those gold coins. And everything you buy with them is going to fall apart. going to need to be upgraded. It's going to go out of style. Folks, one truth. Teams, one truth from this book can keep your mom and dad from getting a divorce. One truth from this book can make the difference between eternity in heaven, eternity in hell. You want to find me at my favorite, favorite time? I live in New Hampshire. We have a lot of snow. I've got a wood stove. Some of you say, what's the greatest thing you've ever done for your personal devotions? Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's wonderful, okay? So I get my Bible, my coffee. I like to get up really, really early and spend time with the Lord before the world wakes up. But years ago, when our daughter was home, she was only three. And I was sitting next to the wood stove, spending time with God. And all of a sudden, I heard something come down the steps. I said, look, here comes Anna. She's only three. She has her crayons underneath one arm and her coloring book with all the Bible pictures underneath the other arm. She came down, crawled up my lap. I said, sweetheart, what are you doing up so early? She said, I'm going to have my devotions like my daddy does. Hey, Dad, has your daughter caught you spending time with God? Mom, has your son caught you praying? The greatest gift you can give to your kids is letting them watch you dig into this book. I get asked all the time, as a dad, what's the best thing I can do? How do I get my kids to love the Word of God? Loving the Word of God is contagious. I promise you, you love the Word of God, Dad, and your kids are going to love the Word of God. So, are your grandkids. My little Sebby, he's seven. Last year, when he's just six, he walks into my study while they're visiting. I had my Bible open. He says, Psalms, huh? Papa, did you know there's 150 of them?
0: I said, How do you know?
1: Come on, Papa. I have my devotions too. <laughs> really? So, let's have them together. So, we did. He read to me a whole chapter from the book of Joshua. He's a pretty good reader for six. So I turned to him, and I knew he didn't understand anything. He just read it. I said, well, buddy, what does that mean? And he looked at me like I was brain dead or something. He said, Papa, people forget. And they even forget what God does. So God told them, stack all those stones up so they'd never forget what he did. Like, Papa, what's the matter with you? You want your kids to love what God loves? You know what God loves? Revelation tells us he, he knocks on the door of an apathetic heart. Just wanting us to open the door for him to come in to feast, to banquet, and to dine with him. God loves to spend time with you through his word and prayer. That's what God loves. And if you love that, you're on your way to understanding the fear of the Lord. Look at the second one, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Number one, dig in. Number two, Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy and the evil way and froward mouth do I hate. Number one, dig in. Number two, despise sin. Say it with me. Despise sin. To truly understand the fear of the Lord is to love what He loves, us spending time with Him. But number two is to hate evil. God hates Why does God hate sin so much that He destroyed the world with a flood and closed down Eden? Why does God hate sin so much that He sent Jesus to die such a horrific death? I can tell you why He hates sin so much. Because He loves you guys so much. The only thing that separates man from God is sin. The arm of the Lord is not shortened that he cannot save or his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sin, your iniquity has separated you from you from your God. He's in his face from you. The only thing, we are saved from our sin. it is our sin that separates us. I am a sinner. God is holy, unless my sin is separated from me, I have to be separated from God. and then Jesus comes. amen. and the cup of wrath that was so full was poured out on Jesus. He paid the price for my sin so it could be separated from me so I could live with my Lord forever and forever and forever. How does God look at sin? We need to view sin like God does. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke 3, God likened sin to the venom of serpents, poisonous snakes. I don't know about you, but I hate snakes. I love living in New Hampshire. We have no poisonous snakes in the entire state. But I lived for many years in North Carolina at the camp. I personally killed four copperheads in one summer. Two of them I got with a lawnmower. That wasn't bad. But the other ones I had to get a hoe. I hate snakes. One of our counselors got up early in the morning was taking a shower. And they thought their towel had fallen off a hook when a snake got up on the rafters, slipped and landed right around their neck. Wouldn't that be a cool way to wake up in the morning? <laughs> I hate snakes. Pastor, if all of a sudden a bunch of copperheads... And and rattlesnakes started weaving through those doors, hundreds of them, underneath the chairs. This side of the room would have instant revival. They'd all be up in their pews. I was waving their hands. Now, you know what they tell me? I'm not this smart, but they tell me if you look real closely at a snake's eyes, if they're round, they're non-poisonous. They're not going to hurt you. But if they're slanted, they're poisonous. Stay away. I'm not getting that close to that snake. To see the shape of his eyes. In fact, if there's a snake coming up, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay as far away as I possibly can. Hey, Mom and Dad, you want a principle to help your kids? Don't just teach your kids to stay away from sin. Teach them to stay away from temptation. Lord, lead us not to temptation. But you know what we do? We say, wow, look at that snake. You know, the way it moves is pretty amazing. The colors are awesome. I wonder, oh, I'm sure I can touch it. I'm sure I can, and it won't hurt me. That's how we spend our lives getting as close to the sin as we can. Oh, we don't want the consequences. But we do. We live our lives too close to the sin. God pictures sin and likens sin as something normally and naturally we will run away from. Isn't that interesting? God likened sin in Romans 3, the stench of a rotten sepulcher. Human flesh decaying. I've never smelled it. I've talked to firemen who have, and they say, especially if it's after a couple of days after a fire in a building, unless you have an oxygen mask, there is no way that you can handle this. You will run from it and get as far away from it as you possibly can. Second Peter 2, God likens sin to the vomit of dogs. I don't know about you, but I hate that stuff, the looks of it, the smell of it. I hate those little chunks in my teeth. Oh, I hate to throw up. I do. I was preaching one night, about 250 teens. This skinny, skinny kid sitting there turning green and purple. And all of a sudden, I was almost done. He couldn't wait. He jumped up. And when he did, he was going to run out. But he put his hand in front of his mouth like this. And when he threw up, he sprayed everybody on that side. There were girls with chunks of macaroni on their sleeves. It was so bad. It really was. It was terrible. We had dismissed the service. When I was in college, they had a big slanted floor, a couple thousand kids there, and a cement floor. And I just remember sitting there very quietly, and all of a sudden, the girl behind me just leaned, and she said, Lift your feet. I did, but I didn't know why. But two rows back, a guy got sick, and it was a juicy one. So I, I, I'm glad. And so I topped the guy in front of me, lift your feet, okay? Now, I know this is kind of gross, but honestly, if somebody even right now got up and ran out into the lobby, and you heard that, hmm, yeah, you're not going to run out. Oh, cool, honey, Cheerios. No, you're not going to. You run from it. You stay away from it. We laugh, but it's interesting that God, like in sin, to something normal and naturally we'll get as far away from it as we can. He gives us one more picture in Second Timothy two, the deadliest of all diseases. It was leprosy. Terrible disease. A highly contagious. No cure. These people had to live in their own little city or colony. If they even came around other people, they had a crowd unclean. They couldn't even go to the temple and worship. If you knew somebody had leprosy, you would never like eat from their silverware or drink from their cup. Why? You don't want to get leprosy. You don't want to die. So you stay away. So I have to ask all of us, what sin has crept into your home that you've held on to for years and years? Do you have a secret sin, sir? Ladies, have you been bitter and unforgiving for 23 years? if we are ever, ever to understand the fear of the Lord. We must love what God loves. That's to dig into His precious Word. We must hate what God hates, and that is the sin that separates us from Him. But there is one more truth that's found in chapter 14, verse 2. Proverbs 14, verse 2. He that walks in his uprightness feareth the Lord. But he that is perverse in his ways literally despises the Lord. Number one, dig in. Number two, despise sin. Number three, desire Him. Say it with me. Desire Him. Do you look forward to the day when you see Jesus face to face? Do you? Does it delight you or scare you? About seven years ago, I had traveled down North Carolina to the other camp, getting ready for a conference, and I was going to go speak, pick up one of the speakers. And had one of those days that was very, very busy and just that indigestion stuff, you know. And when you have indigestion, true men, they just grab the pink bottle and gulp it down, you know, and think that everything's going to go away. So I got home at lunch, and Amber said, do you want to eat? I said, man, just not feeling good. I laid down on the couch, which I shouldn't have done. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, no, I didn't want to scare Amber but I had this terrible pains in my arm, and I thought, no, I'm 55. I'm a camp director. There's no way I could be having a heart attack. So I quick called the nurse. She said, oh, there's a bug going around. After 15 minutes, I called her back. I said, this is bad. So I didn't want to scare Amber. I said, hon, maybe, do you mind if we just run into urgent care? She said, that's fine. On the way, the nurse stopped us pulling out the campsite and threw me a little bottle that I keep with me, a nitroglycerin, and took three or four of them to get to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, I'm serious, by this time we stopped in Brevard, and they threw me in an ambulance, and now they're screaming, Code Blue, we're losing him. I was in the midst of a massive heart attack. And we got to Asheville, and they had me on this gurney within seconds and took me in four or five surgeons racing around. I heard them say, we're losing him, he's going. And, and I was on this gurney. There's a big flat screen TV next to me, great for the Super Bowl, but in there it, it was a picture of my heart, they stuck a camera up my leg, and they're looking all over my heart trying to find out why I'm in the middle of a heart attack. It's already been three hours, late intervention. And I heard the doctor saying, we are not, we're not going to be able to keep this guy. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that. Wh- what are you going to think about when you know you're going to die and see Jesus? Now, again, I I I was born in 1956. I went to high school in the 70s. We knew how to dress back then. Platform shoes and leisure suits, you know. My very, very first car was a 1965 Mustang. Come on. 17-inch wheels in the back, 13 in the front. I was going downhill all the time. Big old speakers in the back seat to play my Christian music. And it was just... And you know, I didn't think about my car. I didn't think about any clothes. I promise you, if you know you're going to die, you're going to think about the people that you love. I thought about my Anna. She had just gotten married a month before. I thought, okay, Scott will take care of her. My Josh and his wife, they couldn't have kids. And after 10 years, they were expecting. And they were going to expect in May. And this was in March. And I thought, okay, I'll see the little guy in heaven. I thought about my dear wife. I I don't know why I thought this. I said, oh, poor Amber, I don't even have my taxes done yet. I don't know why I thought that, (laughs) but I did. Then I have to tell you, I did think of the kids in New England. They don't have much up there, okay? I thought, oh, I'd only been there two years, and oh, they've become my friends, and I want to be there to help them to walk with God and love God and know God. And then it hit me. I was going to see Jesus. I got so, I no fear. And I'm a normal, ordinary guy. Zero fear. I got so pumped, but I got so like, oh no, what do I say? I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. Do I, do I kneel? Do I shake his hand? I'm going to cry. I'm just going to fall on the ground and cry. And it hit me. I'm going to see Jesus. I was just about ready in my heart to look face to face with my Lord. And I heard one of those surgeons say, there it is. And what happened, a big old blood clot had broken loose and went up to the top of the heart where that Widowmaker thing is. And it was stopping the blood to my heart. And they stuck a vacuum cleaner up through my leg, went and sucked that thing out. I could feel it go poof. And the blood come down. My first thought was, stink. (laughs) I was this close to seeing my Jesus. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, I guess, is more needful for you. I've had six more summers with those kids in New England. I got to see Sebby born, and Anya, and Hudson. I got my taxes done. <laughs> Are you scared to see God? I would be if I hadn't put my faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I would be scared to death. What does it mean to fear God? Respect His holiness. Hate sin. Hate everything He hates. Teach your kids to love the precious Word of God and have that unbelievable desire to know Him more and more every day. What is the conclusion of life? What is it our kids need to know before they leave home and we need to know before we leave life? Fear God. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please.